Huckabee, 2020 Democratic hopeful John Delaney, Dr. Billy Graham's daughter Anne Graham Lotz, and country music's Louise Mandrell performs. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Wilbur. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Well, thank you very much. Hey, welcome to our birthday show from the Huckabee Theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee just outside of Nashville, because this is the start of season three of Huckabee right here on TBN, and we are pretty happy about it. And we want to thank you for tuning in, and we want to thank Matt and Laurie Crouch for turning us loose on air for yet another year. Shows real courage on their part, I'll tell you. Now, if I could ask you for a birthday present for us here, here it is. Tell one person this week to watch our show on Saturday at 8 and 11 Eastern, and again on Sunday night and on Monday night on Newsmax TV. You can also visit Huckabee.tv, and you can watch it on demand. We want you to help us keep this show growing in our third season. By the way, we have a great lineup for you tonight. We got friends from Duck Dynasty. We've got Louise Mandrell, one of the most amazing people in music. We've got Billy Graham's daughter, Anne, two very talented acrobats, as well, you'll not believe this, a Democrat presidential primary candidate. How about that for this show, huh? And that alone is a higher wire act in itself, considering how many candidates are in the race. And believe me, I should know, after running in the Republican primary of 2016, a little about that. But before we get to all of that, the impeachment talk in D.C. dominates the news so much that liberal ice cream makers Ben & Jerry's are launching a new flavor called Impeaches in Cream. <laughs> and a famous classic rock band is renaming themselves the Impeach Boys. Okay, well, maybe not, but as Nancy Pelosi said this week, you gotta strike while the iron is hot. So what is exactly does that mean? It's actually pretty revealing. Because if the people who voted for Donald Trump three years ago are to have their votes nullified by some partisan politicians in Washington, and if the news media is truly gonna go along with the overturning of the election results, then shouldn't their reasons for that be so compelling that the facts will stand the test of time. So I'm wondering, what iron is so hot that Pelosi and the House Democrats are willing to ignore the results of an election? And why would that iron ever get cold? I mean, if this whole thing is genuinely based on evidence and facts, then the case won't get cold. But I think we all know this isn't about evidence or facts. This is the rawest and most savage form of politics. But this time, there are some real dangers should it succeed. If this becomes the new norm following a presidential election, that the losing side refuses to accept the results and attempts to use any and every tactic possible to void the voter's choice and then replace it with the choice of bureaucrats and maybe a handful of others from the losing side. And folks, we will have destroyed fair and free elections, and that's the bedrock of our system of government. Now, while the talk of impeachment dominates the current news cycle over everything else, the cries for impeachment aren't even new. In fact, our good friends over at the very astute Media Research Center compiled a little video that dates back to President Trump's first month in office. Now, these are the supposedly fair, objective, and unbiased journalists who end up playing a one-note instrument when it comes to President Trump. Watch for yourself. If he takes the risk of going to trial and he's convicted, that could be seen as an impeachable offense. If Trump were caught on a video camera snorting cocaine in the White House, maybe with one of his children, there was at least a chance he'd be impeached. He's not 
a legitimately elected president in your mind, there are tools that Congress has. I don't see how that wouldn't be an impeachable offense. That tweet fits the Republican definition of an impeachable offense more fully than what Bill Clinton was actually impeached for. Impeachment is very difficult. Grounds for impeachment. It's an impeachable offense. Perhaps impeachable offense. Is impeachment the appropriate remedy? Something for the Congress like impeachment. All of that may be impeachable. That's an impeachable offense. Is that an impeachable offense? Is that an impeachable offense to you? He's much more vulnerable to impeachment. A potential ingredient of impeachment. Where do you see an impeachable offense. It is grounds for impeachment. Even impeachable grounds for impeachment. Grounds for impeachment. An impeachable offense. Let's talk about impeachment. Impeachment is on the table. Which impeachable? An impeachable offense. Do you an see an impeachable? It's an impeachable. If that's not impeachable, on impeachment. Is it impeachable? The president is guilty of for impeachment. Tipping point. Talk of impeachment reaches a fever pitch on Capitol Hill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi under growing pressure from her own party. Here we go again. <laughs> Look, I hope you caught not just the hyperbolic screeds for impeaching a president. I hope you noticed the dates. The call to impeach your president started the moment he was sworn in. In fact, some didn't even wait for the swearing in. Let it sink into your soul what this means. You go and stand in line to vote after you've listened to the candidates in debates and in every other imaginable news forum. You make up your mind, you decide who you want to vote for, and you go and cast your ballot. And then some bureaucrats and politicians in Washington decide you're stupid. You shouldn't have voted that way. And they are so unhappy with how you and the other citizens voted that they decide to do away with the results and create a phony, fake basis to replace the president. The only thing missing for this to be called a real coup d'etat is having the military changing the occupant of the Oval Office at gunpoint instead of some partisan Democrats and the co-conspirators in the press doing it with a bunch of crooked lawyers. There you go. My first guest is a former congressman from Maryland and a current Democratic candidate for president. Now, unlike some candidates who keep getting a taxpayer check for a job they don't show up for so they can go campaign for another one, this is one of the candidates who had the integrity to resign from Congress in order to run for president. He's also a former CEO, and he dares to stand up for bipartisan and practical ideas, which please welcome Congressman John Delaney. Congressman, thank you for joining us, and I want to begin by just saying that uh, if you end up being the Democratic candidate for president, I'll be honest with you, I'd be a little bit worried as a Republican because you make more sense than it seems like most of the people on that stage. Thank you for coming and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Governor. Uh, let's start with uh, one of the things that I've been impressed with. When some of your fellow Democrats say Medicare for all, we're going to give everybody health care, you've been pretty blunt in saying not quite so fast. Tell me, What's wrong with the idea of just giving everyone Medicare? The problem I have is twofold. Number one, it takes choices away from the American people. And I think the American people want choices. And in fact, with Medicare today, our seniors have choices. They can accept Medicare, they can opt out of Medicare and get something called Medicare Advantage, or they can buy one of these supplemental plans, which so many of our seniors have. So they have three options, actually. Under the Medicare for All bill that's proposed by a lot of my uh, competitors in this race, they take away all those choices, and it's just a government-only plan, and one size has to fit all. But the other problem I have with it, Governor, is, as you probably know from having run a state, many of the, f the government programs don't pay enough to cover the cost of health care. So there's a lot of cross-subsidies that go on, meaning Medicaid only pays about 80% of cost, Medicare pays 90% of cost, and commercial insurance pays about 120% of cost. And what that really means is if you take commercial insurance out of the mix, most hospitals in this country would close because they don't get paid enough uh, for Medicare. So that's another big problem I have with the bill. So you're an entrepreneur, a capitalist, a very successful one. What do you feel like in your background as a business person separates you from some of the other candidates on the stage? Well, I'm the only person running governor who's been a successful, uh, as you said, business leader, but also served in the Congress of the United States. And I think that's the, the combination that we really need, because the most important thing for the American people is to make sure we keep growing the economy. 
And if you want to be pro-jobs and pro-worker, to some extent, you have to be pro-business and you have to actually create the environment where businesses can grow, particularly entrepreneurs. So I really understand that and I think I bring a lot to the table in terms of that expertise. But I also rolled up my sleeves and served in the Congress for six years. I do think it's that experience of serving in the Congress, understanding how our federal government works, having been successful in the private sector. You know, my generation and your generation we were so optimistic that if we worked hard and played by the rules, we'd have a shot. And that's missing uh, in the generation of young people today. And I think it's unfortunate because they have a lot of obstacles that they're confronted with. What's wrong with the system that guys like you don't get on the stage who have very sound and solid ideas in a background, and then you got other people who have never been outside the public sector, never had a paycheck other right. than a government job in their entire lives, and they're front and center. Help me understand what's happening in your party. I'm having a hard enough time understanding why that happens in mine. You know, we have difference of opinions in this country, and that's why we have these two political parties. And that's great. We don't want to live in a country where we agree with each other on everything. We should have the battle of ideas. But we also should roll up our sleeves every once in a while, find common ground and get things done. And that's a big part of my platform. But as you know, having been in politics, in the last several decades, the extremes in each of these political parties have really, in my opinion, held the country hostage. Because too many Democrats and Republicans believe that half the country's entirely wrong about everything they believe. And we all know that's not true. We all have friends and people we go to church with or people we work with who are in different political parties, and we have enormous respect for them as human beings. And I, I, unfortunately, we're at a really tough time now in politics because that kind of approach does not really sell in social media. It doesn't sell that much in the media in general. And the loudest voices in the room are dominating the debate. But I still believe the Democratic Party is going to start anchoring itself in some sense of moderation. Because the number one thing among most Democrats is to defeat the president. And if you want to defeat the president, you have to be the kind of candidate who could build a big tent and be welcoming not only of progressives and moderates, but also of independents and Republicans um, who maybe are looking for a different direction. Before I let you go, I've got to talk about an issue that I'm deeply grateful that you're very open about. Uh, you openly talk about your faith and how that is the binding force yes. between you and your wife. Uh, I find that refreshing, that people in public life are willing to uh, unapologetically say, I'm a believer, I go to church, I practice my faith. Why is that important to you and why don't we see more people who are just open, honest, and uh, will tell us what their beliefs are? We're, we're Catholics. Uh, we go to church every week. We've been active in our community. We chaired Catholic charities in, in the Maryland, D.C. area. And it's been important for us and it's been important for our four daughters. You know, my oldest daughter got married um, two weeks ago. And I have four daughters, my oldest is 26. And uh, she got married and it was a beautiful ceremony because it was done in a cathedral. So an Episcopal reverend presided formally over the, the, the marriage. But we're Catholic and so we had a priest. And my son-in-law is Jewish, so we had a rabbi. So on the altar all the bases of the there, cathedral, <laughs> right? It, it's almost like a, it's almost like a joke, you know, a reverend, a priest, and a rabbi walk into a bar. Uh -huh. But you know, it was so moving to to everyone there to see this expression of faith from different perspectives, but how it wove together so beautifully in this celebration of love and marriage. And it's just a reminder, you know, how our faith can really be a light in our lives. And uh, it's, it's important to me. Well, I want to say how important it is for us to have you here. Thank you. It's truly an honor. I wish more of your uh, fellow Democratic candidates for president would come. I promise I will treat them with respect and kindness and, and dignity, as I hope you feel like I have you today, because uh, yes. my job was not to ambush you, but to thank you and give you a forum to talk to our viewers. And I genuinely appreciate you coming to be with us. Congressman, thank you so very well, much. Well, thank you, Governor. So I say to all the other Democrats, the invitation is open. We may disagree on some issues, but you will be treated fairly and with respect on this show. I guarantee it. Now, on my Twitter account, well, maybe not, but that's, that's a whole other thing. But by the way, you can learn more about Congressman John Delaney's campaign on his website. Go to johndelaney.com. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at John Delaney. That's also on your screen. You can write it down 
and check it out. Keith Bilbrey, why don't you give our viewers the amazing rundown for the rest of this first show of our third season. Coming up, Doc Dynasty's Al and Lisa Robertson, then the amazing acrobatics of Sergey and Sasha, and country music singer Louise Mandrell perform. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. The great author Charles Dickens once said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. Now, if I know one thing, it's that everyone who watches this show is useful and caring. Samaritan's Purse and the devastated people of the Bahamas need your help. And you can help them save lives and put life back together for the broken people who have suffered the wrath of Hurricane Dorian. Right now, your call, and very importantly, your financial gift will help Samaritan's Purse continue to provide everything from medical care to restoring housing, promote some basic needs that people have, and it'll heal those in the Bahamas, many of whom have lost everything. Let me encourage you, please call or visit the Samaritan's Purse website and give a very generous gift. You might be able to do what my wife will be doing in November, going as a Samaritan's Purse volunteer to the areas most devastated. As Jesus himself would say, love these neighbors as you love yourself. Well, you know my next guest is the brother and first daughter-in-law of the Duck Dynasty Robertson family. But what you might not know about is the trauma that both have survived as kids that nearly destroyed their marriage and how they overcame all the baggage that they had and now they're helping others to deal with issues in their lives. It's all in their new book and it's beautifully titled called Desperate Forgiveness. Would you please welcome Al and Lisa Robertson. Good to have you guys here. Thank you. Al, first of all, we're used to calling you the beardless brother. So what's up with a facial hair, man? Well, Lisa says that I'm the best looking Robertson. Amen. But, uh -huh, okay. but you've had my dad and others on. That's I have. A, the bar is low, Mike. I mean. <laughs> I'm not going there, brother. It doesn't take I ain't going much, there. You know what I'm saying? I love the title of the book, Desperate Forgiveness. It sounds like that both of you have been through some life experiences in which forgiveness uh, was not just, uh, oh, I forgive you, everything's fine. It was depth, a lot of hurt. I think probably my biggest thing that I ever had to deal with was whenever I was a young child, um, I was molested by an uncle. Hmm. And that really set the stage for what I went through as a teenager, but then also what I went through as a young adult. And um, it really shaped me into somebody that I really didn't want to be. How, how did you handle some of the hurt? Was it suppressed or was it let it go and lash out? I was a very rebellious teenager. And, um, you know, then when I married Alan, I thought, you know, everything was going to be perfect. But, mm. of course, you take that baggage with you into your relationships. No matter how many relationships you have, you're going to take it along with you until you deal with it. And that's what we had to do. Al, how hard was it to open up about issues in your relationship as a couple in marriage and to sort of tell the world, look, we've been some places that we're not proud of. I was a pastor. So here I was in this fishbowl of our church yeah. and trying to do the right thing. And yet how open can you be when your marriage is falling apart? And so as Lisa said, it started for us when we were young and then it came out in that point. You know, Lisa had an affair, our lives fell apart, our marriage fell apart. But the reason we call the book Desperate Forgiveness is we both had to get to a desperate place, hmm. first individually with us and God, and then with each other to say, we want to we work on this. Because no, no couple stands before the preacher thinking they're going to have an affair, have a difficulty. It's when those things happen is when you have to deal with it. Lisa, when you were dealing with forgiving, let's say, the uncle and other things going on, how long a process, how, how long did it take you to work through the place where you could say, that's under the blood, it's behind me, I don't have to deal with it anymore? You know, I learned at seven years old to be dishonest. And so I had to go back and say, why am I dishonest? And I had to go through all those things that I had done, things that had been done to me. And I had to get to a point where I said, okay, now I know um, I'm changing, you know? And with God's help, that's exactly what I did, was I changed we, the situation. As we found that healing, Mike, 
we then began to help other people. It was just natural. Yeah. And every person we helped and every couple we helped, it brought more healing to our wounds. Mm -hmm. And so our mess became a message. And that's what it is to this day, and it, that's what's in the book. It's refreshing to have books that tell it like it is rather than sugarcoat it. That's right. Desperate Forgiveness. Look, you can get your copy of Desperate Forgiveness on Amazon. You can also go to alandlisarobertson.com for all their books and to enjoy their blog. You can also find out when they're going to be speaking in your hometown, which may not be that far away because they're all over the place all the time. You can follow Lisa on Facebook at Lisa Robertson and on Twitter at Lisa Rob Allen. And you can keep up with Al on Twitter as well. And I don't think this is going to work anymore because it's at Beardless Bro. <laughs> So you're going to have to get a new Twitter handle. That's all there is to it. That's all right. I say. <laughs> hey, Keith, why don't you give us your honorary Duck Commander best, and you tell us what's coming up. Well, up next, we've got a sneak preview of the new Patsy and Loretta film. Then, dazzling acrobats from America's Got Talent, Sergey and Sasha on Huckabee. Next week, Vice President Mike Pence and Jordan Seculo tackles the deep state. And welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody ought to visit Israel at least once. And now, I got to be honest with you, I love the Holy Land, so I'm a little biased. But you ought to join me on the trip of a lifetime this coming March and see for yourself. Israel is a place of unmatched beauty, incredible culture, delicious dining, amazing people, and a history that goes back, well, that goes back to the beginning of history. I'd love to show it all to you this March. So go to thegreatesttrip.com for complete details on how to join me on an unforgettable trip to the Holy Land. Well, from a goose breaking into a taxi to an airport catering cart gone wild, We've got lots more stories that you'll want to take a gander at on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. All right, here we go. 21-year-old Ms. Charlene Nungo recently started having some heart palpitations and weeping. Was the culprit vaping? Nope. Not even abuse of other vices. It was a bakery in England that accidentally served the vegan a pork sausage. <laughs> Bob Evans must be down to the farm rolling over in his grave. <laughs> when Ms. Nungo learned the news that her sausage was not fake and that she had consumed real meat, she stated that she was, and I quote, traumatized for life. <laughs> Greg's Bakery of Kent, England offered her a $2 refund from the meat steak. And when she balked, they upped the offer to a $36 gift card of hot dogs. No, not really. But, <laughs> but Ms. Nungo is demanding a public apology from the bakery. She declared, people can be allergic to pork and potentially die from such a stupid mistake. Now, in one of her online video rants, she said, quote, my body is poisoned for life now, end quote. Well, I'm sure she'll survive if she just remembers that everyone occasionally needs a little meat time now and then. <laughs> All right, take a gander at this story from Nottinghamshire, England. Now, we call it poultry in motion. Police received a report that a goose had crashed through the back window of a taxi cab and was just sitting there waiting for his driver to take him somewhere. If I were the cabbie, I'd guess south this time of year. <laughs> Officer said that thankfully there was no foul play involved in the situation. Hey, Governor. Yeah, Keith. If I mentioned it, you know, I live out in the country. Yeah, I know that. I, I actually have a pet goose. No kidding. But, you know, I've, I've noticed lately, I think he may be depressed. Dep a depressed goose? How, how could you even think that, Keith? Well, he looks really down. <laughs> hey, Keith, whatever you do to cheer him up, just don't take him to dinner. I'm afraid he'll complain about his bill. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this just in. We've obtained exclusive video footage of what's going on right now inside Adam Schiff's head. 
Actually, it really is a food service cart at Chicago's O'Hare Airport that started spinning as wildly as a CNN commentator after a crate of water bottles fell onto the accelerator pedal. By the way, this does give new meaning to the phrase, circling O'Hare. <laughs> and last week at a union-sponsored candidate forum, presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobacher of Minnesota talked about her attempt to play golf and the very non-PC results. She recounted, she said, I did one time try to play golf, but I misfired on the first try and the ball hit a duck in the head and it appeared to perish. <laughs> so I don't think it's a good idea for the bird population of America if I play golf. <laughs> hey, I found out that I've got something in common with Senator Klobuchar. We're both duck hunters. <laughs> now, I found it's much easier and more reliable to use a semi-automatic 12-gauge shotgun instead of a golf club. <laughs> Little tip. By the way, Trey, this story made me think about the first time you went golfing Mm -hmm. And you had to change your socks. I, I don't know. Why was that? Oh, no, it's because I had a hole in one, you know? <laughs> hole in one. Truthfully, folks, with respect to the senator, golfing with a Democrat is a lot like taxes. You go for the green, and you wind up in the hole. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Seriously, I am not a golfer. But it seems like Senator Klobuchar actually scored her first birdie that day. I said she scored her first birdie that day. And I guess she turned that country club into a golf corpse. Well, just like Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, we gotta close this thing down. But always remember that we read the news. Well, our good friend, actress Janine Turner, who does so much to help school kids learn about our Constitution, is back on television this fall. She's in the highly anticipated movie, Patsy and Loretta, premiering on Lifetime October the 19th. The film is based on the untold relationship and friendship between two great music legends. Janine portrays Hilda Hensley, who is Patsy Cline's mother and confidant. Here's a quick look at this dynamic film. Look who's home. Oh, he's walking. Look at you go. <laughs> I can't believe I missed it. Well, he ain't stopping. Mama. Oh, babe. I heard you on the radio. You did? I hadn't stopped talking about it. Oh. Mama can say now. For a while, yes. Hey, can I fix you some lunch? Pancakes. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, sugar, let's go. For thinking that my love could hold you. All this time being away, how they gonna know how much I love you? You got the biggest heart I ever know. Crazy for trying, crazy for crying, and I'm crazy for loving you. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that to you. It's gonna be me and you together forever. Don't miss Patsy and Loretta, the powerful movie on the friendship of Patsy Klein and Loretta Lynn, featuring our very good friend Janine Turner portraying Patsy's mom. Again, it premieres Saturday, October the 19th on Lifetime. Hey, Keith, instead of going out walking after midnight, why don't you tell us what's around the corner in our show? Well, next, the jaw-dropping performance of acrobat Sergey and Sasha, then author and speaker Anne Graham Lotz, and later country music singer Louise Mandrell performs on Huckabee. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Hey, I need you to call CNN 
and I want you to tell them, I'm about to engage in some real Russian collusion. <laughs> because my next guests are a father and daughter acrobatic sensation from Russia. And they have been dazzling American audiences while touring all over the country on NBC's America's Got Talent. Their feats of acrobatic stunts are truly awe-inspiring. Would you please welcome Sergey and Sasha.
But first of all, I mean, it's one thing for a daughter to trust her dad, but seriously, that's pretty extreme, don't you think? Yeah, not many people can share that bond with their fathers. Well, that, not many people want to, to be honest with you. <laughs> so has he ever dropped you? No. Well, there's been an accident, but not deadly. <laughs> you see, I'm still here. You've got to practice long hours to get this right, because if you don't get it right, somebody gets hurt, right? Yes, of course. We practice every day, and then we perform every day. It's not hours, it's years. Years, yes. yeah. It's about 10 You know, I was going to get into this, but if it takes that long, I probably won't. Uh, <laughs> and besides, when I saw that stretch with the legs out, I could get them out there, but I might never get them back together again. <laughs> well, what is the most joyful thing that happens when you're out there performing for people? Uh, to me, it's seeing the audience and their happy faces. It really brings me joy. For well, me, it's the happiest moment when I go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say our audience loved you. We love you. It is such a thrill to have you here. Loved getting to watch you, even if you did scare me to death. Thank you for coming and being with us. Sergey and Sasha. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. And if you want to see more of Sergey and Sasha, and I bet you do, they are currently performing at the Strat in Vegas, okay? The Strat in Vegas. You can go to thecelestiashow.com for all the tickets and show information. So if you're going to go to Vegas, I can't imagine what you would see that would be more amazing than this incredible duo. You can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Sergey and Sasha. Hey, Keith, you can either do some acrobatics or you can tell the folks at home what's coming up in the show. It's all your choice. Go ahead. I think I will leave the acrobatics to them. Coming up, award-winning author Anne Graham Lotz and country music legend Louise Mandrell sings on Huckabee. Welcome back to our show. Let's give a big hand to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Best band in Nashville and folks in Nashville, that is saying something for sure. Well, you know you're a good preacher when your dad calls you the best in the family, and it's really saying something when that dad is the Reverend Billy Graham. My next guest has also been named one of the five most influential evangelists of her generation. She's got a brand new book, and it's called Jesus in Me, Experiencing the Holy Spirit as a Constant Companion. It is a true honor to welcome Ann Graham Lotz. Ann, thank you for coming. So nice to see you. You know, it, it is interesting. People say that if your father has someone who has sort of taken the mantle and has been his clone, uh -huh. that you have such an amazing communicative ability, and, and you clearly do. Well, I pray it's the same spirit, Governor Huckabee, you know, and uh, the, this book is about the Holy Spirit in us, who is Jesus in us, and so that's the same spirit that was in Daddy and same spirit in me, but, you know, the gifting is a little bit different, but... Um, well, you talk about in this book something that I, a lot of people don't even discuss. The Holy Spirit is yeah. sort of a, a myth, mythical yeah. and mystical yeah. figure, yeah. Um, almost not as real as the Father and the yeah. Son. Yeah. And, and you say we're missing something yeah. about not understanding the person yeah. Yeah. of the well, Holy Spirit. Well, you know, I, I was raised in a committed Christian home, went to church every Sunday, but I can't remember being taught about the Holy Spirit. He was mm. referred to as the Holy Ghost in church, uh -huh. you know, and, I, and you don't want to draw close to a ghost. And um, so it wasn't until I was a young adult and studying the scriptures for myself in the Gospel of John that I discovered more of a fullness of who he is. And Jesus said in John uh, chapter 16, or chapter 14, that he's another counselor. So Jesus is a counselor and the Holy Spirit would be another counselor and that fa the Father would send him. So the Holy Spirit is actually Jesus living inside of me. When you did this particular book, you had just gone through mm -hmm. a long yeah. process of fighting cancer mm -hmm. and overcoming. Yeah. But what did the Holy Spirit do in oh, your life okay. during the course of 
fighting the disease and writing the book. And how did that all come together? You know, together? it wasn't just the cancer. It was a four-year process. My husband went to heaven very unexpectedly. Mm. I found him unresponsive in our pool and got him on life support. But two days later, we released him and he went to heaven. And then three years later, my daddy, and then six months after daddy went to heaven, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through mm. the surgery and all the follow-up treatments. And so <clears throat> I think God lets things happen to good people, bad things, and lets us have disasters, death, divorce, disease, whatever, because so often those times we look up and we look to him. But during those hard times, without my husband to run to, to ask what treatment should I have, what doctor, mm. without daddy to run to, you know, the Holy Spirit just um, filled in that slack. He took the sting away from the pain. I, I look back, Governor Huckabee, on the last four years. What I remember is not grief and pain and suffering and there was plenty of that. I remember blessing after blessing after blessing, and mm. the Holy Spirit has blessed me, but I, I will tell you um, that loneliness has knocked at my door. You know, when you're a widow and an orphan and, uh, and you've got, you're faced with a life-threatening disease, um, there, there's a loneliness that comes, but, but it never came in, mm. and it never came in because the Holy Spirit picked up that slack. And if he did that for me, if he could be my constant companion, he can do it for anyone. And, and, and I think there's so many people, they think of God as a mental transaction. Yeah. I have a need, I call on God. What you're talking about is not yeah. a, a mental yeah. transaction. It is a full yeah. head to toe yeah. experience of something that gives you calm, yeah. comfort, yeah. Yeah. and a sense yeah. of the reality of yeah. God. Yeah. That's different, isn't it? It's so different. God invites us, not into a religion, a denomination, an organization, a tradition. He's inviting us into a personal relationship. Mm. And you can't get more personal than Jesus in me. You know, that's intimate. And the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. He is all that Jesus is, which means, Governor Huckabee, now the Holy Spirit loves you. Mm. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit loves me. So when he came into me, I, th I thought he was assigned, you know. So the father would say, go and Anne, and now she's, you know, and you just have to clean her up and make her good. And one day the Holy Spirit would present me to the father and said, I did the best I could with what I had. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I found out that the Holy Spirit loves me because mm. it says don't to grieve him. I grieve for those I love. I grieve for my mother. I grieve for my daddy. I grieve for my husband. Grief is a love word. And when it says we can grieve the Holy mm. Spirit, it means he loves us. You know what I get a sense of? This is real to you. This is Jesus in me, as you, as you talk about in the book. This is not just a, a professional obligation to keep the family business going. <laughs> this book is almost like a memoir of my experience with the Holy Spirit. So it's not a doctrinal statement. It's not a theological you know, paper. It's, it's my personal experience of the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. And my parents laid the foundation. You know, I, I received Jesus as my Savior when I was a little girl, and I... I know that atmosphere in my home led me to make that decision early, but I had to make the decision for myself. Somebody said, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. So I, just because I'm Billy Graham's daughter doesn't mean I'm a child of God. So I had to make that decision for myself. And maybe the first year or two after I made that decision, I read the Bible through. I fell in love with God's Word. And it's, God's, it's through God's Word that I know God. You know, it's very apparent that this book, Jesus and Me, did not come out of your head, but out no, of your heart, your right. soul, your experience, the whole uh, entirety of your life. And uh, God has given you that experience to be able to share with us what it means to have Jesus in me, the Holy Spirit. Jesus in me, it's available now. It's at Amazon, all major booksellers, as well as on her own website, annegrahamlots.org. That's where you're gonna find her blog and daily devotionals, her radio show, and a whole lot more, annegrahamlots.org. Keith, I'm feeling the craving for a little music tonight. I wonder if you can maybe help me out. I think I can. Up next, country music's Louise Mandrell sings the Willie Nelson classic, Nightlife, right here on Huckabee. Welcome back to the show. Back in 1980, NBC had a hit television variety show with Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters. Sister Louise Mandrell won America's heart with her country singing voice and her funny sketch comedy scenes. Country radio had her hit songs, I Wanna Say Yes, Save Me, and Some Girls Have All the Luck. 
Well, this week she released a brand new album. It's called Play in Favorites. I want you to welcome a dear friend, one of the most absolutely gifted people in all of music, and I say that as a super fan, Louise Mandrell is here with us. Thank you, Louise. So nice to have you here. Thank you. It has been 30 years since you put out a new piece, piece of music like this. Yes, it makes me sound really old, because I am. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I am so proud of my age. I'm 65. Wow. And you don't look you. it. <laughs> now, my sisters don't like it when I tell, because they don't realize their age, OK? <laughs> but um, I, I uh, had so much fun doing this album, because it's a lot of the old songs that I grew up with. And uh, a lot of the songs, of course, were recorded before I came along. But then I got to hear my dad sing them, Barbara sing them, because, she, you know, we all like the old songs. And, and people are going to love the music on here. Your voice is so strong. I mean, oh, it's just. You. It just powers through. And it's always done that, but, I, but I'm listening to these tracks and I'm thinking, by golly, there's some stuff on here that people are gonna wanna hear over and over because it's music they know, music they love, and then the way you style it, it's just extraordinary. Well, thank you. I love doing music that people can sing along with, although I, uh, when I sing in a minute, please don't feel free to join in, okay? <laughs> <laughs> don't throw me off any. You're gonna do a song with us here in a few minutes uh, that was written by Willie Nelson. It has been sung by so many different artists, Doris Day, Aretha Franklin, uh, David Lee Roth from Van Halen. I mean, that's a pretty wide spectrum of people who have done the song. Why is this song, Nightlife, important to you? What do you love about it? Oh, I love it because it really describes our lives as musicians. Huh. I mean, it's, it's different, but, and it's certainly a difficult thing to go through because you're not home all the time with your families, but it's our life and we're proud of it and we enjoy it. And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about because in politics, it takes you away from home a lot. Yes. And uh, it's, it's not for everybody. But we sure appreciate the people that, that do it. Thank you for being who you are. I want to tell our audience a quick story. Uh, several years ago, I was raising money to get musical instruments for kids whose parents couldn't afford them. And we put together a charity CD, and every artist that I asked uh, donated their track. We had George Jones and Neil Sedaka and Aaron Tippin and some wonderful people. And uh, Louise Mandrell immediately said yes and did a song that is, by the way, it is also a version of it is on this CD, I Can't Stop Loving You. It is a absolute joy. So Louise, I've loved you for a long time. I thank you so much for all that <laughs> you do you. for people. Can't tell you how happy I am to have you here tonight. Thank well, you for thank joining you. us. thank you, thank you. My family loves you. Good, <laughs> I like to be loved. I don't get that often, so. Well, as Louise and I are gonna get ready to perform, Keith Bilbrey will tell you how to get your own copy, and you better do it. I think you're gonna want it, and after you hear her sing uh, Nightlife, I guarantee you, you'll be on the computer or on the phone ordering this, song, uh, this CD called Playing Favorites. Keith, tell us what's happening. Louise Mandrell's Playing Favorites is available now everywhere music is sold, and you can discover more about this album as well as her career and life at louisemandrell.com. Follow her on Facebook, at Louise Mandrell. And now, here to perform with her very special bass player is Louise Mandrell! <laughs>
listen to the blues they're singing Life is such, such an endless dream Oh, I feel 